Hey, everybody. Hope you're doing well. How are you? Today is Wednesday, May 25th, 2016. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat. Um, happy you could join me. Really excited to be here. Boy, what a chat it's going to be today. Or maybe it won't be. I don't know. I hope it is. Really depends on your questions, which I haven't even looked at yet. Sometimes I look at them, sometimes I don't. Most of the time I don't today, I did not uh, usually keep the surprise factor. So we'll see how that goes. Um, like I said, thank you so much for joining me. This will be about 90 minutes. Best place to get your questions in is on MMA Fighting, where this post is embedded. Uh, questions that turn green get priority, but not exclusivity. Me at SBN Luke Thomas, and uh, we'll get some questions answered from there using the hashtag chat wrappers. Uh, today, gang, I'm letting you down. I apologize I'm letting you down. Let me pull this up a little bit. I apologize I'm letting you down, but I am. It's back. Diet soda. Now, I, I, I'm not back. I, I never, like, got on the wagon officially. I just, uh, you know, really, I won't say stopped using or drinking diet soda, but pretty much heavily stopped. Um, you know, there was a major decline in my usage. But I never completely stopped, and today, this is all I had. I drank a gallon of water already today. It's not even, it's 1 o'clock, so here we are. Ah, oof, I'm not even used to drinking hardly at all. That is strong. All right, well, I'm sweating because it's 1,000 degrees in my second story of my home, and these lights are bright as hell. So let's get things going, shall we? We shall. All right. First question. Kenny Main Connor McGregor interview. Who the F is Kenny Main? Really? And why wasn't Brett Akamoto doing the interview with Connor? Kenny Main is one of the more popular figures in uh, anchors of and hosts of programs at ESPN, um, most famously on SportsCenter, a very sort of sardonic approach to things. Uh, he's well liked. And to me, I wouldn't actually want Brett Akimoto in that role. I mean, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset at the exposure. But um, to get the most eyeballs, you want the biggest names interviewing him. What's different is somebody like Ramona Shelburne going to places and then interviewing the guys backstage as part of like live event coverage. To me, that's a little different. And that's where I objected to it. But Kenny Mayne is is a well-respected well-liked guy in the business and i have no problems with him doing that uh does kenny may know a thing about mma he knows how to do a good interview because you heard one did brett akimoto write up questions for kenny main to ask connor you have to ask brett why does espn keep putting sports journalists who know little to nothing about mma to cover mma stories when they have someone as capable as brett who is more than qualified to do the job. Well, this is obviously a big point of contention that I have made, and it's one I will continue to make, but this is quite different because this is not live event coverage. This is not the kind of thing where you need a little bit of nuance to dance the dance. You need some uh, understanding of the, the the spaces and the players to draw inference and then report back to somebody else. Kenny Mayne is not reporting back to anyone else. He's merely asking questions, and you, the viewer, can ascertain what uh, you know whether or not that was a worthwhile exercise. That's very, very different than being like, Brett, what's happening? Now, if someone was asking Kenny Mayne what's happening, I think that would be a little bit more of a challenge. But this is it, this is a very different thing. Um, so, as you know, I've been the first to complain about Brett Akimoto not getting the kind of roles at ESPN that I think he should be getting. This is not one of them. Again, I wouldn't 
it wouldn't upset me. I certainly the more the better, right? But when I speak of the ones he's being pushed out of, this is not one that comes to mind. And moreover, what did he talk about? He talked about a very public split with the UFC. He talked about this, you know, <laughs> Mayweather fight, such as such as it is. These are things that are top line stories in the media. He doesn't have to have a knowledge of who won, you know, the 1999 rings tournament. Um, he doesn't need to know Volkan's third fight. Uh, he just needs to know what's happening currently in the media. And uh, I think he did quite the job. So, so, I mean, there's, there's plenty of reasons to get upset at what ESPN does, but to me, it's more the role that Ramona Shelburne occupies, which is go there, talk to these people and then report back to us what, you know, that's where she trips up because she knows basketball really well. I feel like, I think she's quite good there. I would never want to question that. But then when she has to make inferences about the MMA world, that's when she starts tripping up over herself. Um, all right. Someone asked me in my email, even though Michael Bisping beat Anderson Silva, do you think he's had enough time to recover from the knockdown he suffered during that fight, or is he in Chad Mendez's territory, where his chin hasn't had enough time to heal and he's putting himself at risk of a quick KO? Let me refresh my memory. It's actually not the worst question. It's pretty good because it reminds me to check out. When was that fight? Was it March? Was it February? When was that fight? Uh, that was February. Late February. So March, April, May, yeah, um, you know, it's a fairly quick turnaround, and he didn't get knocked out cold, cold, like certainly nothing like the Dan Henderson KO. Uh, I don't think the concern is entirely misplaced. It's an interesting question, especially since he's going up against a guy who had TKO'd him before, so it's not a guy who has difficulty finding a target against Michael Bisping or, you know, a tremendous amount of difficulty finding a target. But I don't know that he's in a window where it's um, uniquely at risk either. It didn't happen last week or last month or even two months ago. So, you know, so the, but by the time that one was ended and the next one happened and he hasn't been sparring a lot in camp because there's been no camp. So you've got all of March, all of April, almost all of May where he's not taking any shots to the head. You know, typically I would like to see something like a six-month break, but... It's not a bad question. It's an interesting one. It's not the one that comes to me foremost when I think of reasons he could lose the fight, but it is certainly one where um, you have to at least consider the possibility. And you have to consider the condition there, that he may not just be in a position to absorb a tremendous amount of damage. Certainly, uh, Michael Bisping's chin has never been like, oh my God, he's got you know Roy Nelson chin. He's never been that way, but he does have excellent recovery. So to me, that's what I'd be looking for here is to what extent can he not so much avoid damage because I don't think there's really any way he can do that, at least over the course of two or you know potentially three rounds, however long it goes. But the question is, to what extent can he rebound? That's that's usually been his calling card. Someone says, Luke, do you think Bisping won that fight? You've probably been asked this before, but I did not happen to catch it. Do you think Bisping won that fight with Anderson? Um, yes, I did feel that he won. But... Um, it was a, certainly a tough call. It's just Anderson Silva just didn't really do a lot. I mean, he had these big moments of brilliance and greatness and flash, but the work rate was uh, differential was astronomical. 
Uh, and that's really what won him the fight, just sort of stayed in it. Who did more work? Who was Anderson Silva in that fight was great in moments, but Michael Bisping was, you know, obviously a few moments of despair he had, um, was basically consistently good. And those who are consistently good over minute over minute, round over round, fight over fight, year over year, those are the ones who ultimately become great. Now we'll see if he can really, you know, um, turn that into something uh, against Luke Rockhold. And I think even if he doesn't, he still has had a, a distinguished career. But um, people who just sort of like this consistent application of themselves over time and that just wearing out competition, keeping them relevant, just really always staying around. And the longer you can just sort of hover in space, the more you can do things, right? Sunday's card. All right. This is a good card this Sunday. I mean, it's not like... UFC 189 or 194 or something, but it's a good card. Give us your thoughts on some of the better matchups this Sunday. So, for example, uh, Almeida versus Garbrandt. Garbrandt's going to be on my show today. Luke Thomas show, 4 p.m. I really love this fight. I love this fight for a couple of reasons. One, I feel like there's two good bantamweight fights on that card um, with, you know, a set of contenders in each one. Uh, obviously, the one at the top of the card are probably a little bit closer to a title shot than the ones at the bottom, but you get the idea. It really is, you know, creating an exciting... Uh, movement within the division and I like it when the I like when divisions begin to get sorted and clarified because as they get clarified matchmaking becomes easier and, and the easier matchmaking becomes it's typically because there's you know this push towards uh, creating interest in a fight right like if you look at a if you look at a uh, um, if you look at a division you're like you're not quite sure who to match up you can think of some fun ones but nothing really sort of stands out it's typically because there's nothing really uh, necessarily all that interesting about it. However, when you see like a bunch of not just matchups you could make that be great, but sort of these more essential ones, right? Like think about it featherweight with Conor McGregor. Now, there's a bunch you could make that would be great. But to me, the Edgar versus McGregor one, now, of course, Edgar has to get past Aldo, but let's assume that he does. This becomes borderline necessity. This becomes borderline necessity to make. Now, of course, there's a big question of whether he'll go down and all that. I'm just saying... You get what I'm saying, that the, the, there becomes this emphasis, this momentum behind certain matchups, not merely for title shots, but for contender hierarchy as well. And I feel like th this is the kind of process by which a division sorts itself. Um, I love this fight. So Almeida versus Garbrandt, who do I like? I kind of lean Almeida, um, but you know he he's a bit of a slow starter. But to me, he's got a little bit more weapons. He makes adjustments in the middle of a fight. He can fight at different ranges. Garbrandt's got big power, better boxing. Um, and could certainly sleep Almeida at any point in that fight. I do not, I do not discount that possibility at all. Because what I'm wondering is, over the if, if Almeida can avoid early trouble and can make those requisite adjustments and begin to play with different weapons and play at different ranges, um, to what extent can Garbrandt match those adjustments? I think that's what I'm looking for. Now, Garbrandt's been working with Brandon Gibson, striking coach at Jackson Wink, for a bunch of fighters, not least of which is John Jones, and a guy who I interviewed a number of times. I think, you know, in terms of his ideas about striking, he is one of the leaders in the combat sports space. Well, I guess I should say MMA space. Um, so we'll see what he can do with Garbrandt. Should be that's a very, very competitive, fun fight. Uh, Barrow versus Stevens. I guess for me, I don't really know how Barrow's going to look a weight class up. Obviously, he'll you know he won't be quite as drained, but. He's never had necessarily big power in that division. He had good power at bantamweight, but not great. Stevens is going to have heavy power. I think Stevens has excellent 
uh, durability. He's fought much bigger guys than Barrow. I think Barrow got just shellacked in those two fights against Dillashaw. I don't know if he's the same guy anymore. You know, we're going to find out if he got David Loazoed a little bit here. Um, so I definitely lean Stevens there, but you know, Barrow was a champion too, so can't discount that either. Masvidal versus Larkin, man, this is a really make or break fight in some ways for both of these guys. Masvidal losing to Benson Henderson. Now you can make a case that he shouldn't have lost, but he's had a lot of these fights. That one, the Iquinta fight, another fight I didn't think he should have lost, but he does. He just kind of keeps him a little bit closer than his ability um, should let him. He should be there. Should be a greater distance between he and his peers. Um, often more often than there is. And Larkin, you know, he's obviously a tremendous guy. I think Larkin, if I'm not mistaken, he's coming up that loss to Tuminov, right? Keep all this straight. Yeah, I mean, Larkin's had a bit of an up-and-down run in the UFC. So he beat, let's see, he lost to Francois Carmont. He beat Robbie Lawler. Remember that. This is 2012, of course. But since going to the UFC, he loses to Carmont. He beats Camozzi. Then he loses three straight, okay? They hang on to him. He beats John Howard. He beats Santiago Ponzinibbio. Looked good beating Santiago Ponzinibbio. And we saw how good Ponzinibbio looked in his last fight. And then loses to Tumanov. Now, Tumanov is a very tough fight. He lost to via split decision. You know, you can make a case that um, he's not out of it yet. But this is a very, very tough fight, an important fight for him. He really needs to get back on the horse here. And against Jorge Masvidal, man, that's not going to be very easy. So this is a bit of a, you know, I, I don't know if it's exactly crossroads for both guys, but for one of them maybe. And then Sterling versus Caraway. How do you not like this? Um, Going to be on the fight pass, which is great for me because it makes my job easier for the Monday morning analyst. Um, it's it's just tremendous. It's a tremendous matchup. Sterling, I feel like, has a lot of momentum, but I think Caraway is profoundly underrated in the very spots where we ascribe uh, all these strengths to Sterling, grappling, wrestling, uh, clinch positions, level changes. I think Caraway is very underrated there. This should be a very tough fight for Sterling. If Sterling fades at any point, Caraway, I think, has the gas tank and sort of the veteran know-how of how to pick his offensive spots. Um, you know, I lean Sterling because I think he's the better athlete. I think he's got a little more athletic upside in terms of applying that athleticism to technique. But Caraway will take a round from you if you are not careful. He'll take two rounds from you if you're not careful. He'll even outright submit you if you're not careful. So very, very tough fight. Very, very All those fights are great. So, And there's more than that uh, on that card. If I'm not mistaken, let's see if there's some other good ones on that card. UFC Fight Night 88 on Sunday. Um, Tarek Safadine versus Rick Story. I know everyone says Tarek. I got a friend named Tarek, so I say Tarek. Uh, Vitor Miranda's taking on Chris Camozzi. Poor Chris Camozzi seems to be one of these guys where they test guys who have a lot of upside against him to see how they do. Anyway, Vitor Miranda, keep your eye on that kid. Tremendous takedown defense, excellent Muay Thai. Another guy like Thomas Almeida, he's bigger than for the weight class. Obviously, he's middleweight, but um, he can he does the same kind of adapted Muay Thai, I call it. So that's a fun fight. Paul Felder's back in action against Josh Berkman. Sarah McMahon in a do-or-die fight against Jessica I in a do-or-die uh, do fight, man. Very, very tough fight for those ladies. And both of them are coming off back-to-back -back losses, if I'm not mistaken. Certainly losses generally. Uh, Abel Trujillo taking on Jordan Rinaldi. Rinaldi's a bit of an underrated guy, but uh, Trujillo, you know, is a sort of powerhouse. Uh, Jake Collier versus Alberto Uda. Uh, not that big a deal. Eric Koch is back against Shane Campbell. Aljamain Sterling, Brian Carraway, and Chris De La Rocha versus Adam Milstead. So there's a few duds on there, but overall, it's a pretty great card. All right. Uh, let me do this. 
can you Facebook at 2 p.m. Final shot, he's talking to me, so I go. The boss is on vacation, so I'm doing the podcast today, my radio show later, and then I have to run the site for the next week. So, have a great life. Um, okay. So it says, I hate short notice fights. All right. What's up, Luke? Why doesn't the UFC have fighters on deck when announcing a fight? For example, if you schedule Rockhold versus Wilder, did we not get this question last week? Someone says, Luke has said that A, the UFC does not want to have a fighter in limbo, too many cards, too many fights to fill, and B, they don't want to pay fighters just to train. I think your idea is a good strategy for fans, though. Yes, I've answered this before. Uh, thoughts on uh, Venator. Also, when were you and Ariel do the McG Floyd Mayweather Jr. fight? What will you and Ariel do? I mean, we'll cover the fight if it happens. Again, it's not impossible. It's not like they, you know, there's no way they can do it. It's just highly unlikely. Uh, let's see. Thoughts on Venator? Um, I, 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 you know, I saw what uh, Jason Mayhem Miller said post fight, and it seemed encouraging. Um, but I'm not a mental health professional, and I don't know if those kinds of comments in the course of someone's descent into uh, troubled territory and then trying to reclaim space out of that, if his kinds of comments are reflective of that typical kind of journey. Um, if such a recovery as he is claiming is even possible, I don't know. Um, you know, if MMA is, is going to be the sort of thing that pulls him to a direction that is healthy, then who would be against such a thing? I have doubts that that's the kind of mental space that he's in. And, um, I do not know, I, I'm not saying it is or that it isn't, but I certainly have questions about whether it's even ethical to book him for a fight at this point. Uh, if you're a promoter now they're not particularly interested in ethics uh, they're interested in dollar bills and eyeballs so i understand that i'm just speaking out loud about that sort of thing and again i don't know that i don't know that i what do you say about jason miller man like you want what's best for him right like you want him to to be healthy and happy and not be in these weird predicaments and uh, i'm not sure that we're getting any closer to that um interesting to see uh paharis get you know, do you guys ever know? Do you do you know where the word chutzpah comes from? Um, it was it's a word that essentially applies to someone who kills their parents and then begs for mercy because they're an orphan. That's where the word comes from, right? I think it has a Yiddish or Hebrew origin. I'm not entirely certain, um, but in any event, that's where that's that's where the word comes from, chutzpah. Um, essentially, crying wolf, but the way in which they describe it right to, to kill your parents and then beg for mercy uh or beg for help you know, as well because you're an orphan um when paul harris is complaining about getting elbows to the head it's like that's not quite the you know historical origin of the word chutzpah but it's pretty close now certainly any illegal shots to anyone's head should be policed but <laughs> you know it's just rel relatively humorous that he would cry for such a thing in any event. Uh, yeah, I thought it was fine. I mean, these regional shows, uh, even the bigger ones don't particularly get me all that excited. Uh, I have, um, you know, other interests beyond MMA. So to the extent that I can not watch a show, I, I won't, but I'm not a bet here to bash it. Like it appeared to be a lot of interest in it. I'm on the hardcore community. So 
Uh, what are your thoughts on the Travis Brown type of elbows that Meek used versus Husamor Paharas? Will this become a trend to defend takedowns? And do referees have to be more alert from now on to see if eyebrow every every blow, excuse me, hits the right spot? I think, guys, you're seeing it more and more. You're seeing guys try it. But I don't think there's been quite yet developed the best practices on it. To what extent do you have to have your hips turned and facing a certain direction? To what extent do your legs need to be, uh, how far apart should they be? You know, conventional deadlift apart, sumo deadlift apart, you know, this versus this. Um, do you need to have one underhook on one side? What are the best practices about that? And the other part is, like, some guys are going to be naturally powerful in that position. That scooping elbow, because the elbow is not coming straight down. It's coming down and in. Right, like if I was going to elbow myself in the ribs, that's kind of what it's doing. I'm not elbowing things down beneath me. Um, um, some guys are going to be naturally really powerful in that position, and some guys are not. And so you're going to see some people like try to bang away on it and not get it because maybe the rest of their balance isn't great. I also think it's a bit of a body type issue. To me, that guys were going against on uh, Travis Brown, who's big, heavy has a heavy base, you know, and it's probably really, really powerful in that position. You know, remember, where are you Where are you weak out here? Where are you strong? You're in here. So when you bring that elbow back, you can do it from a really powerful position. If you're a heavyweight, that only exacerbates it. So I don't think it's going to become one of these universal things, um, but certainly you're going to see some best practices put around it. You're going to see guys who naturally are powerful in that position begin to exercise it more, and I think it's great. You know, we can't, we don't have knees to the head of a downed opponent. Um, which in some circumstances I'm for. If you're flat on your back, I don't want someone on top of you, a la Kevin Randleman, just bopping your head into the mat like he did to that poor one donk in pride. His name escapes me now. Um, but if you're shooting on a takedown and you're on your knees and there's space behind your head, I think you should be able to get lit on fire with that, um, and you can't. However, this is one of those circumstances where you can make people who are dogged on the takedown and borderline stalling, you can make them pay. So it has kind of this like functional equivalence that to me is very, very encouraging. So let's see what people can do with it. But yeah, it'll be interesting. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Carvalho versus Manhoff. Did you guys see <laughs> Bellator 155 last Friday? I volunteered for that duty uh, for the site. And at the time, I was regretting it. And I, I guess on some level, I still do because it was just, a, you know, it's terrible, but um, <laughs> it is. There is something to be said for watching one of the worst robberies happen that you've seen in a long time happen in real time. There's something to be said for that. All right, here's the question: Luke, What do you make of the snooze fest that was Manhoff versus Carvalho? Do you think? Do you feel like Manhoff got robbed? Also, was Carvalho's performance the worst championship winning performance you've ever seen? Um, okay, so this I, I'll maintain this, and I think you'll find that most people will support this um the worst robbery i've ever seen has got to be mike easton versus chase bb mike easton uh i think he retained his uwc either featherweight or bantamweight title i cannot remember which one it was i can't remember if he was fighting out of weight class or not um chase bb took his back all five rounds and for some rounds for you know four minutes of that round like, in other words, many of those rounds should have been uh, – uh, God, what was the final decision there? I, I, I called that fight for that organization at that time. I remember being – I remember laughing, uh, not out of, like, you know, because I was happy about it, but because I could not believe it. It was a split decision loss. 
This was in 2009. That was the Bantamweight title, UWC. That is really the worst robbery I have ever seen in my life. I don't know to what extent there's still footage of this online. If you can find it, you should. There, I cannot imagine a worse case scenario for a, a robbery than this one. It, this is, at least in the modern era, maybe back in 2009 when it was just a bunch of clowns honking their red noses with their big red shoes on uh, the judging tables uh, around the cage. But there's less of a problem about that now. Um, but in any case, so that's the worst one I've ever seen. By far the worst one I've ever seen. This one does not touch that. However... This one was exceptionally bad. Now, let me just say one thing up front. The fight sucked. I mean, it sucked a lot, okay? Neither guy really did a whole lot. Um, in the case of Carvalho, he did next to nothing. He got occasional takedown, but didn't do a whole lot with him. I think he passed one time to side control. Manhoff was able to get out without any kind of real submission threat every time. He stuffed a lot of takedown attempts. Some of the takedown attempts went nowhere. Manhoff uh, certainly scored the more damaging shots throughout the course of the fight, landed more, I believe, in aggregate anyway. The judges awarded Carvalho the first round, despite him not landing a punch, elbow, knee, kick, or takedown. He literally landed nothing. Nothing. And all three judges gave him the first round. Uh, wow. Wow. I mean, I don't even know what you say. I, I, I don't even know. I don't even know what you're supposed to say to something like that. You know, um, that is just shocking. Totally shocking. This is why, I like, going to you know, just these pockets of humanity in the middle of nowhere, Boise, Idaho, and trusting their commission to regulate a show. You know, you, you're giving Melvin. If you're Bellator, you're 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 giving Melvin. First of all. I, there's an open question about whether Melvin Manhoff should even be fighting anymore and getting a professional license, but he is, so what can you say, all right? So he gets a professional license, and they give him a championship title fight, which is something he's never had in his, in his career, certainly not in MMA. And um, he gets it. He does enough to win, but you, you make sure that this title fight happens in a state where you just have, you know, people who simply are not up to the task of doing the, the job, and... Um, and I know judging is difficult and I know it's, it's much more difficult than it looks, but this to me, you know, when there, whenever there's inactivity more than activity, I think that's harder to judge. And so I certainly grant that could have been difficult, but I just don't know where you can find three rounds for Carvalho. I just don't, I just don't know where I don't know where, I don't know how that's possible. You know, if you want to give him a round, maybe even two, maybe there's a way you could do that, but three rounds. No. It's just, it's just not, it's no, there's not, not a chance, not a chance on this earth. And, you know, what's unfortunate is that one of the guys who's the judge is Rob Hines. Now, Rob Hines, I typically have really admired his work both as a referee and as a judge. He is not historically a bad judge, but I don't know what happened here. I don't know what happened here. And maybe this is one of those cases that sort of evidences that even guys who are, um, you know, experienced, capable referees and experienced, capable judges, not the best judges in the world, but experienced and capable, it just shows that. But refereeing and judging is so difficult that even they can be prone to these kinds of um, situations. Maybe, maybe that's the case. I don't know. But that you can watch it on spike.com right now. And I warn you, it's the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, only exacerbated by the fact that the decision is utterly unjustifiable. 
There's no justification for it. And I know every every commission is like, well, we talk to our judges and we ask them what they see. That's not that's the first question you should ask. Like, okay, what did you see? Right? Well, here's what I saw. I saw X, Y, and Z. Then you have to match that against reality. Like if you if merely your line of inquiry is the things you saw and why that makes sense to you, there's there's no way to falsify that. That right? You know what I mean? Like there's no there's no condition by which you're ever going to be wrong. And as long as that's the line of inquiry, there's no point in having a line of inquiry. The line of inquiry is why did you miss this? How come you didn't see this? Why did you weigh this so heavily? You know, look, I know these guys don't want to be interrogated. They're doing this on their free time. At some point, maybe it's better to have bad MMA judging than no MMA in Idaho. I don't know. But what I would say is I think the critical error that Bellator made is if you're going to give someone a championship fight, you got to put that in a state where somebody knows, like, the chances of having Donk Donkerson and Rick Rickerson judging is relatively low. You know, I, I would like to speak with Rob Hines. Again, I would like to know why he felt that way. Um because again, this is not a guy whose work I would traditionally impugn, but this I cannot claim to be a performance that I find him um, to have done exemplary work. Um, and uh, James Glory just posted an article I wrote about the robbery of Chase Beebe. It's in the comments section. I encourage you to go read it. You cannot imagine how bad that was. You cannot, if you saw it, you would you would be like, There's no rational explanation for it. I don't know what happened there. And I'll just leave it at that. Marlou's Coonan. Luke, what do you make of Coonan losing to Alex Dufresne last Friday? How shocked were you by the end result? Do you think Coonan will ever be the same, or is there a chance she might take a long layoff and retire? Yeah, uh, not all that surprising, I guess, in the end. Now, here's what I thought. I thought Dufresne taking the fight on relatively short notice and the fact that she had come in overweight I thought that she just wasn't going to be that prepared and she would eventually fold. Um, it turns out that Kunin just sort of let her dictate things. Now, that I did not see. But you can go back and you can watch me tweet in real time about it. Dufresne's got problems, okay? And I thought basically what would happen was Kunin would have enough submission defense to outlast her and then use the temporary and short notice for Dufresne against her. That is not what she did. Now, she didn't necessarily make a bunch of bad choices. You know, uh, the sweep that she hit was nice. That sort of underhook uh, hook sweep she had that was kind of okay. Um, you know, she tried to tripod up when she knew she was getting triangled. That's usually the correct call as well. But uh, but Dufresne's jiu-jitsu is excellent. It's excellent. She has very good jiu-jitsu. Um, and she just lorded it over someone who just doesn't have the same level of jiu-jitsu. I thought Kunin's sub-defense would be better. Yeah, you know, if I'm Marlis Kunin, she's been in the game a long time. She's taken a lot of damage. Um, you know, she's never been like, she doesn't have a ton of brutal KOs, you know, where she's been KO'd on her record. But, you know, she's been in long fights with a lot of different women, and um, I don't know that she's necessarily got the same ability to pull the trigger and then the same sort of athletic hustle that she once did. And, I don't know that her skills have evolved enough over the course of the year now um, to make her as relevant a name as she once was. Um, certainly, I'm not really prepared to bury her, but uh, there is probably some time now for some reevaluation about you know what her abilities really are today, how they match up against her peers, and where that puts her. And I suspect it would be a lot lower than uh, I had even assumed uh, on that day. 
hilarious. Someone goes, powerlifting. Luke, you mentioned before how you've been doing powerlifting and strength training. This is true. I did one early this morning, and it was brutal. My hip hurts. Uh, are you on that hyphy mud? You see my eyes? You see my eyes? I'm off that hyphy mud. No, I do not. I do not take hyphy mud. <laughs> That's hilarious, though. You guys don't know what hyphy mud is. There's this internet YouTube personality named Kali Muscle, K-A-L-I Muscle, who is this guy who went to prison, who's swole as hell, and uh, all he ever does is talk about his internet haters in every single video. He says the, the dumbest things. He has the worst rap videos you've ever seen. Uh, his technique really is not all that great. Like He doesn't have full range of motion on a lot of things. Um, as hell. He actually just had a video the other day where he did like 15 muscle ups, which is hard to do, not least of which because his technique wasn't all that great on him. And he's over 250 pounds, like whatever else you want to say about him. And there are so many things you can say. He is strong as strong AF. And, uh, but the best part about Kali Muscle's videos are the comment section where his own audience just rails on him. Like if you look at other guys who are in like the bodybuilding YouTube or like strength training YouTube community, like Bradley Martin, his comments are, those comments are all like real positive. They're all like high-fiving them and everything else. Yeah, The ones for Kali, they're like, it's literally just one after the other. There might be one there being like, you the man, Kali, keep going, bro. I'm off that hyphy mud. But nine out of 10 are just like, you know, Kali, you're on steroids. You know, <laughs> Kali, you're an idiot. Uh, making fun of him having, uh, uh, what appears to be permanent congestion. It's it's funny. Anyway, Hyphy Mud is one of his products that he sells that is borderline worthless, but that's just my opinion. Uh, you want a pre-workout energizer? Drink a cup of coffee, dog. That's all you need. All right, USADA and UFC. Hey, Luke, when it was announced that the UFC would be partnering up with USADA, I felt pretty good about it. Of course, I expected to see more guys getting popped for being on the juice, and that would ruin a few matchups that would have been already set up but now with romero machida and pen i'm starting to think usada is going too far do you think there's any chance that the ufc ends its relationship with usada in the next year or two no i don't think that's i don't think that's really the case at all and these cases are all a little bit different but there is sort of one common theme among all of them it just so turns out that if you impose a rule set on a group and that same group had no real say in the imposition of this rule set you're going to find that the learning curve for them to get up to speed on that rule set is going to take some time. So for me, these are three different scenarios with three different meanings. Uh, first of all, let's start with Penn and work backwards. With Penn, we have this admission that he used in IV. Now, um, there are circumstances where using an IV is allowed, and the and USADA put out this explanatory note. Of course, I love how USADA does all of these things after the fact, right? I mean, these things about educating their audience and educating the sport and trying to provide all these materials, you know, they always do things retroactively. They're proactive about nothing, okay? So that, that is annoying. But they did put out a note. It was pretty helpful. Uh, you should read it. Uh, I, I, everyone has shared it on Twitter. It's on their website. You know, it's on their Twitter account as well. You can go check it out. There are circumstances most notably when you have therapeutic use exemptions by which a um, 
an IV is allowed. What we don't know, and they list all of them and it's various conditions about whether it's more than 50 milliliters and, and to what extent these are necessary things uh, from hospital administration for surgery, surgical procedures or whatever the case may be. But um, so there are circumstances. What we don't know is whether Penn has um, provided the requisite information to be eligible for retroactive TUE or, uh, or, or what the case may be, that you can get those. That is not out of the realm of possibility. Now, what you might say is, um, you know, Penn said he was never going to use IVs. Well, you know, if you read with that comment, it, it certainly doesn't look good. And I even posted it being like, oh, Penn, you got to be careful about what you say. But he was talking about for post-fight weigh-ins. Remember, this is a guy who never, I mean, certainly even making 145, I don't think he was cutting a tremendous amount of weight, uh, a la, you know, Conor McGregor to 145 or something like that. You know, he fought as high as 170 a number of times. So this is not exactly the same thing that applies to him. So my only point about Penn is, you know, when you've got guys and Machida's the same way, just admitting use of things because they don't even realize it's against the rules, sure, you can easily make the argument that they should know. agree with you. However, I think what it also underscores is that this is what happens when you just impose rules on a group that had absolutely zero say in how those rules were created. And I, you know, there should be, this is my view, a little bit of mercy to that effect. And in addition, it's not exactly clear with additional information that Penn is really in abridgment or has abridged um, um, the rules of IV use. We, we actually don't know that yet. So um, we should be careful about that. Uh, it, it, potentially it is. But there could be any number of circumstances by which the information that could come out about this, and we're looking for that here at MMA Fighting, like, trust me, I can tell you, um, maybe it's not exonerating and maybe it is. All I'm saying is um, to declare that Penn was using this for nefarious purposes, to declare that uh, you know Penn was using this for sure for performance-enhancing benefit, um, certainly we can't rule that out. But I would be very careful about that. I don't know that that's really true yet. We have to sort of wait and see. Moreover, I find that very hard to believe. You know, if you if, if you're using PEDs, you know, would you say, "Oh, I'm not using PEDs," but sure, I'm using all these needles? I, I, you would probably try to do whatever you could to disguise, you know, not merely that which you're taking, um, but the method by which you're taking it. Moreover, you'll find that there can be a number of different medicines out there um, that doctors will prescribed for you that are administered um, via IV over, you know, taking things orally because it has a greater benefit. Now, USADA will tell you in terms of hydration that there is no real benefit to doing it with an IV, that there, that there is a plenty of medical science that will tell you that it's better to do it um, orally. And they have a number of studies to that effect that they have done, but ones that they cite. This could well be true. I'm not really here to dispute that. I'm just sort of noting what the um, facts of the case are as, as we understand them. But with Penn, there's been a real rush to judgment about what it means. And I don't deny that it's a bad look. But I would wait to see more information about this. If no other reason than the Romero case. If no other reason than really the Machida case. So then you work backwards to Machida. Machida doing the same thing. Not even realizing that this thing, 7-Keto, however you want to pronounce it, 7-Keto or Keto DHEA, um, is listed under the water prohibited list as uh, a, a, sort of an anabolic 
uh, supplement, despite the fact that there is ample research to the effect that it has no anabolic profile whatsoever. It is something that people who do Zumba use to lose additional weight. It has some benefit for your immune system, uh, perhaps with sleep as well, depending on how you use it. But this idea that it has, um, you know, real performance enhancing benefit, that it would have helped him win that Dan Henderson fight in some kind of uh, straightforward capacity, you can draw a straight line between them, uh, is an absolute joke. And then you have uh, Romero, who you can admit, again, a certain degree of negligence there about the supplements, but I think more what it shows is that um, there should be rules in place that USADA employs that uh, that offer a degree of mercy when you can offer evidence that what you're taking in an unregulated um, industry that's not banned by WADA to use, like they don't ban supplements, um, that there should be some degree of mercy involved. And I'm in entirely for that. Hyphy <laughs> picture just makes me laugh. Hyphy mud, pre-workout energy. Here's here's this here's its uh tagline. Hyphy mud, colon, make you dangerous. Okay. Uh Burrell versus Aldo. Yeah, I saw this the other day. Luke Burrell hinted this week that he wouldn't have much of a problem with facing his longtime training partner, Jose Aldo, down the road. Do you think they'd ever fight? If so, who would you give the edge to? Yeah, I, I was a little surprised he said that as well. I don't think it'll ever really happen. I think there's a number of other matchups that um, they'll probably look to and make. I suspect Aldo might avoid it, even if Burrell wouldn't. Um, and again, there's a big question about what's left of Burrell. He looked okay in that Mitch Canyon fight, but against Jeremy Stevens, what if Stevens blasts him into outer space too? You know, there's a real question about what would be left for him after that. So we'll see. I mean, I wouldn't rule it out, but this to me does not seem like the likeliest of possibilities. Uh, special MMA hour. Yes, not long after the show, as a matter of fact. Should we expect any news in Nate Diaz interview today? I mean, I have no idea what he's going to say. I don't think Ariel does either, but you should watch it. I know that, 4 p.m. today here at uh, MMA Fighting. Someone says Mayweather versus Diaz. I would love for, for Diaz to get that fight. That's hilarious. Um, oh, couple of updates here. All right, so someone says, uh, Luke, how come Alistair Overeem was allowed to wear medical socks? Those are those are not medical socks, but versus Arlovsky and Dominic Cruz, who actually needs them and requested them, wasn't allowed to wear medical socks versus TJ in a title fight. A, the commission can say no, and B, if your opponent says no, typically the commission will require you to take them off. But if your opponent has no issue and the commission has no issue, then there is no issue. Someone says, because it was in Amsterdam. Not exactly. Someone says, I heard that Gunnar Nelson chose not to wear hand wraps and nobody had a problem with it. So I actually had Gunnar Nelson on my radio show because you guys had brought this up to me. This was something I actually was not aware of. I know he had talked about it, but I almost couldn't believe it. Um, and I actually had other fighters email me. One guy who had fought in uh, California a few years ago saying they gave him the option to wear the hand wraps. If he wanted to wear them, he could. If he didn't want to, he did not have to. Um, in any event, um, so I actually talked to Gunnar Nelson, and sure enough, he does not use hand wraps. And I was asking, like, don't you care about your knuckles and your hands? And what he was saying was he's never really had a problem with his hands before. This has never been an issue. This has never been um, 
something he's had to worry about. He's always sort of just had strong hands, I guess. So he likes the extra streamlining process that not wearing the wraps a lot gives, and he doesn't feel like he's really sacrificing any measure of you know, structural integrity in his hand. So why not? Also, I spoke to him about the choke, and maybe I'll include his comments in a subsequent um, Monday Morning Analyst. Remember that choke he had on Tumanov? And I talked about it on the MMA analyst because I wasn't exactly sure how he pulled it off. There are things you can tell where he leans and he torques. His chin goes in and around like that. Here's what he told me he's doing with it. Now, there's a certain way to grip it up, and there's a certain way to get it. Check this out. It is a crank. It's not a crank like this, and it's not a crank like this. It's not like a, it's not a can opener or something like that. Here's what he told me. This is interesting. I would still need him to show me the finer details of it. But what he's doing is he's wrapping your jaw this way. Now, as I mentioned before, you can kind of get to the throat here even when you're wrapping the jaw. What he's doing is he's not merely squeezing the jaw this way or compressing the jaw. What he's trying to do is he creates a pocket behind him with his shoulder. He opens the shoulder, okay, his own, behind you. And what he does is he tries to drive your chin as far back as it will go. So he is squeezing it. Don't get me wrong. Like you can still feel the pressure, but what's a lot of times when you get the, that face crank and you put the rear naked choke grip on it, somebody will only chat, tap if you're like uh, Sirkunov, who's just this, you know, hulk of a man who will literally, and you heard him, break someone's jaw. That's not what Gunnar Nelson's doing. Gunnar Nelson is taking it, creating space behind you, and then driving your chin as far back as it goes. And what they found out doing that is, when you drive someone's chin far enough back, everything behind here will actually close off the windpipe, and it does serve as a choke. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's what he's doing. Now, people have shown me a Braulio Estima video where he does the same or a different, a different variation of that, but the same kind of thing where can't get the throat, let's go to the chin and see if we can make things work. But just for the record, Gunnar Nelson explained to me, it is a crank. I mean, there is a little bit of this. It's a little bit of back and in, so there's a little bit of that going on. But what he's doing is creating space behind him with his shoulder and then driving your chin as far back as he can to close off the throat. So it's a choke, and it's a painful choke at that. That's what he's doing, which is uh, crazy. What a madman he is. Someone has the screen name Mourinho one and people are going, welcome to old Trafford, Jose or Jose. That's funny. Uh, BJ Penn, what sort of suspension do you reckon BJ Penn is facing? Should he be suspended? I suspect this will be amended to a, uh, well, okay. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Let's see what he ultimately can provide in terms of exonerating evidence. Um, but all I'm saying is we, we have to be very careful about what we're saying he is and isn't doing um, until we have that information. But provided he has some exonerating evidence, which he seems to suggest that he does, uh, perhaps not that long. Let's see. All right. Let's see here. Someone's sending me an article. New York Times offers another round of buyouts to employees. Yeah, that is not fun. Uh, all right. Big Nog in the Hall of Fame. Luke, how do you feel about Big Nog getting to the Hall of Fame less than a year after retiring? He's my favorite fighter ever, and obviously I believe he deserves the honor, but some people have complained that it's too soon, while other donks 
believe he hasn't done enough in the UFC to warrant an induction. Do you see any merit to the stances of those who oppose his induction? I mean, look, the UFC Hall of Fame has gotten better. Um, you know, he certainly won a belt. It's an interim belt, but he won a belt while in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. His record in the Ultimate Fighting Championship was not particularly exemplary, but he is certainly one of the top heavyweights of all time. And I think more than that, when you hear he's he's a kind of fighter that Dana White appreciates generally. He's like blood and guts in the trenches kind of guys. Um, and, you know, he's the guy who took on all kinds of comers with all kinds of weight, who, you know, was one of the first big heavyweights, if not, you know, really the first big heavyweight to Lord submission prowess over his peers in a very dominating and complete way. Um, you know, again, I mentioned won a title in the UFC, however, you know, much of an asterisk you want to put by that. Um, but, you know, Noguera is sort of one of these guys who became legendary for us for not merely, um, his submission prowess, but for the kind of athletic courage that he provided. I mean, the amount he sacrificed athletically to win is sort of hard to quantify, quite frankly. I mean, on the things he would sacrifice on the altar of athletic greatness, I don't think many of us would be willing to give, and he did. And I just don't think Dana White or the UFC is really in a position to ignore that. So, you know, are they fudging things from a criteria standpoint to maybe make it work? I don't really feel that way, but I can understand how some might, that there wasn't this longer record of achievement in the UFC, but um, I, I really am in no position to quibble with it, you know. Also, it's the UFC's Hall of Fame, like, they can put in whoever they want, you know. Uh, okay, let's do some true-false here. True-false, if John Jones moved up to heavyweight for the remainder of his career, he at some point would get KO'd due to the chaotic nature of the division. I mean, if you hung around long enough, uh, I suppose. I don't know how likely that would be eminently, but I'll say true on a technical basis. It's highly likely that Rockhold will finish Bisping in the second round via TKO. I think that's a fair bet. Sure. Stipe's knockout of Verdun was similar to Connor's knockout of Jose Aldo. I saw a bunch of people saying that. I don't think that's really true at all. I mean, of course, there are some similarities, yes. Um, sure, like one guy was coming at him and one guy was sort of, sort of in retraction. But it's not... I didn't, I didn't, that did not remind me of that at all. Um, there are other knockouts, I think, that would uh, perhaps be greater examples, um, or at least more helpful examples. Um, but, I mean, I know people said that, but I, th that never came to mind for me. Like, oh, that reminded me just of Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor. Mm, not really. It was a different kind of blitzing he was doing with a very different kind of strategy. And the problem was the application of the strategy. As long as he was coming forward at him, for the first three of those blitzes, he was not getting countered. He got countered on the fourth, and then he chased them along the fence line rather than cutting and then going in a direction forward on him, which isn't to say he wouldn't have gotten clipped going forward necessarily, but he really left himself exposed chasing along the fence line. That's not, to me, there are, there are enough nuances there to separate it. I mean, if you really zoom out, and look at it in a macro perspective, yeah, I suppose. But the more you zoom in, the less that they appear similar. Brazilian fans are the nastiest when it comes to the treatment of foreign fighters. True. Mayweather and McGregor are getting a real kick out of trolling the media and fans with a potential matchup. I am sure. True. Weidman will be wise to take a rebound fight against Romero before challenging for the title again. I wouldn't call Romero much of a rebound fight, but certainly if I were him, I would take a fight before trying to get back on that title uh, push. 
Vitor pulling guard against Jacare is a sign of seriously poor fight IQ. I also think it's just a function of age and him being like, what am I doing? The referee could have stopped the Trinaldo Medeiros fight five times over. True. It's surprising that Rockhold will be Bisping's first rematch in the UFC considering he's been with the company for 10 years. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way, but yes, that is true. Funny. Yes, very surprising. In the post-fight interview, it was a bit shocking to see that Brian Stan was as big as Stipe Miocic. No. No. He can be as tall, but I don't think from a frame standpoint, they are naturally sitting at 240 at the same way. Uh, Luke, last week it was reported that Dana White and Nate Diaz were unable to come to an agreement on a rematch with McGregor. Many speculate that negotiations fell apart due to the fact that Nate wanted more money. Despite the fact that there are a lot of people who want to see him compete, Diaz doesn't really seem to care much for fan opinion or for the company that has made him rich. Yeah, he's such an ingrate. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with that as this is an independent sport. Okay, fair enough. But there are a limited amount of opportunities to be had in the business. Let's be honest. There is no bigger money fight for Diaz than a rematch with McGregor, and for some reason he still chose to pass up multi-million dollar payday. Question. Is it puzzling to you that Nate wouldn't take advantage of this lucrative opportunity considering he's one of the biggest stars in the UFC? No, it does not surprise me in the least. Um, perhaps they made him an offer. He's not interested in doing it that. Like, you're just going to take your first offer? And you can say, well, you might lose that offer altogether. And that's the risk you run. Uh, none, of, none of these negotiations are risk-free. They are certainly, um, these are all endeavors where your hand it can come back to bite you but um so can we make an argument that diaz is not um playing the game correctly i suppose we don't know what they've offered him and versus what he's expecting but uh, as so far as we can tell diaz is in a position to say uh sure i want this fight sure you want this fight this would be better for everyone but there's a amount of money you're gonna have to pay me to make this happen and we'll see if he's overplaying his hand but until the negotiations have either moved on or completed in his benefit or to his to his direction then it's a little bit hard to say exactly what um, he's doing is incorrect uh, MMA fighting's homepage after a single Connor interview there was a funny reddit post showing MMAfighting.com's homepage after a Connor McGregor interview does McGregor account for a vast majority of web traffic vast majority no does he count for a lot because he's a big star sure and um, anyone who doesn't do what we do, I mean, not exactly in the same way that we do. Like, I know everyone thinks that what, what we do is uh, up for scrutiny, and to a level, it is. Um, and everyone is welcome to ask questions and make their remarks and, and so forth. And some of them we'll have to take into account, and some of them we will just ignore. This will be one of the ones that we just ignore um, because when it comes to running a website, uh, in mixed martial arts, I feel like we do a pretty good job. I feel like our record of that is pretty exemplary. Uh, obviously, some mistakes here or there, but um, yeah, you know, you look at the number of page views we generate with the number of quality articles that we generate. Uh, I, you know, I'm very comfortable with our overall editorial strategy. Uh, fantasy matchups, you guys love them. I don't. Miocic Overeem, tough one, man. I'm going to say Miocic, but I don't know, because Overeem can play at different ranges. Verdum versus JDS2. Man. After that last fight, I still might go JDS, I guess. I don't know. It's crazy. Weidman versus Jacare. I might still go Weidman. Uh, Machida versus Vitor. 
Oh, Machida. Lawler versus Maya. Man, that is a dangerous fight for Robbie Lawler. I'll say Lawler because his takedown defense is so solid, but Maya is a different cat, man. Matt Brown versus Tumanov. I'd probably go Tumanov, but I don't know. Cyborg versus Tate. Cyborg. Shogun versus Rashad. Rashad. Dodson versus Lineker. Another tough one. Um, Lineker? I don't know. If, Lineker, if Dodson can get him to gas in a five-round fight, maybe. Otherwise, i go Lineker. Trinaldo versus Duffy. I mean, not in the same weight class. Todd Duffy? Talk about somebody else? Sinaloa Cartel versus Isis. Ooh, Sinaloa Cartel. Isis is fading, y'all. Sinaloa Cartel is doing all right. Luke, refresh my memory. Did MMAfighting.com cover Metamora 6? I don't think so. No, that was the um, AJ Agazarm versus Carl Parisian fight, right? No, they didn't. At what point does an organization become too much of a joke for a reputable news site to cover it? Um, we don't really judge things on whether they're jokes or not. We judge it whether to what extent we have manpower, to what extent is it newsworthy. And by newsworthy, we mean, you know, we should write about this even if it doesn't generate news and uh, generate traffic for us. To what extent will it generate traffic? To what extent do people really care? And so you weigh those things. And I, I think we pass on it. Um, we'll see what happens with Minimore 7. Such that it may happen. Um, what's your favorite fight of this year so far? Wow, good question. I don't know. Um, I had the most fun breaking down McGregor Diaz. Um, I don't know that was my favorite fight. It's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. There's been some good ones. I don't know. I have to go back and look. I'll answer that for next week. How about that? I don't really know. Next for Gunnar Nelson. Uh, what do you see next for Gunnar Nelson? Magni Brown. I would love to see Gunnar versus Magni. I think that'd be awesome. Even Don Hyung Kim would be a good one too. But Brown was coming off a loss. I think he should really get back on the horse. If Diaz doesn't get the Connor rematch, should he get the winner of RDA versus Alvarez? The guys, I mean, yes, if you want to make a meritorious argument about it, or you think that, that would be the kind of thing that we could sell. But I don't really like Diaz's chances against either of those guys, you know. The guys who have this, like, great wrestling and good sub-defense. I don't know, man. It's just not a great matchup for Nate Diaz. Someone asks, what do you think of BJ Penn's suspension? If a fighter is medically cleared to have an IV and discloses it, do you think that should be allowed? Or are you in agreement with no IVs unless in hospitals 365 days a year? Um, it's a tough question to answer. Uh, no, I don't think it's enough to say, um, well, they're not really all that different things. I mean, there are medical conditions by which you can have one, provided they meet those limits. Uh, there's no issue, but you know, am I really in favor of like the banning of IVs to the extent that USADA has done it? Um, you know, not necessarily, but them's the rules. Pen claiming ignorance despite previous acknowledgement on social media. When USADA banned IVs, Pen made comments on social media about his happiness for USADA testing. He was referring to post-fight weigh-in in. IVs, which I've seen people do in a hotel room. Um, that's what he's talking about. Not like 
and I don't know if this is the case, but let's say he went to the hospital and they had to administer it because that's the way that um, medicine is administered and it was within the limits of USADA's testing protocol. Uh, he just didn't really declare the full extent of that, although I don't know if that's the case or not. You know, that to me would not be particularly problematic. Uh, why are the MMA media so tolerant and forgiving of PED users, whereas in other sports, the media vilify athletes who are found to be cheating? Just watch the sports top journalist chat excitedly to Chael Sonnen about when he was coming back from suspension. He sat there giggling, I think he's referring to Ariel, while Chael joked about whether his muscles were clean or not. I mean, seriously, can you imagine Lance Armstrong and Justin Gatlin being treated this, treated like this? The sport doesn't even need Sonnen, so why keep him on a pedestal knowing that he's a cheater? It's a joke, really, but who cares, right? It's not a real sport anyway. Um, well, you seem to be under the impression that guys who take PEDs have made moral failings, and I'm really not in a position to um, argue that. Now, if you'd like to, it's a free country, uh, and and that's a debate you can have. But if you're, I can't speak for Ariel. I don't think he did anything particularly wrong. I've you should accuse me of the same thing. I spoke to Chael Sonnen a few days ago as well for a piece on MMA fighting, which went up announcing that he had this uh, Submission Underground series coming. So you're welcome to levy those same charges at me, although he's not competing. He's just being a promoter. But um, someone being like, it's fairly clear about the use of IVs in the handbook, but not as detailed as it could be. Right. I, this is not a challenge to my argument. I have made it clear that at some point there should be some level of literacy about what the rules are that you're under. However, my point is that that learning curve about the literacy is going to be slower when those rules are forced on fighters rather than the fighters having a say in what uh, is and isn't allowed. Having any kind of role, a contributory role, even an advisory role, they had zero role. Not merely a non-voting role, right? Eleanor Holmes, Holmes Norton is a member of the DC Congress, but she's essentially non-voting outside of committee, right? She still has an, she still has the ability to discuss things on the floor of the House. She still has the ability in committee to express displeasure with things. Um, fighters don't even have that. Nothing, nothing. That is the point. So they can make all the handbooks they like, and they can say you should be aware of these things. And to an extent, they're certainly correct because they're going to enforce those rules. That is not the same as just for keeping fighters in the dark and saying, here's new rules. There you go. There's going to be a learning curve and it's going to be a lot slower. And that's just the fact of things. Now, getting back to the question, um, everyone, uh, I guess not everyone. There are some people who believe that, that people who take PEDs have, um, have had a moral failing. I, I, I certainly can be criticized for the fact that I take a very technocratic approach to this. Um, nothing has changed in sport for me to, adjust my argument about some of these things. There is always going to be an incentive to cheat, a massive, unbelievable incentive. They have every incentive to do every other thing, find every trick in training, find everything they can with their diet and their sleep and sleeping in hyperbaric chambers and shaving their heads to make weight, whatever you want. But all of a sudden that line is supposed to stop, not even at supplements. Pat, you can still take certain supplements, but now at PEDs. And the fact of the matter is, um, 
There are costs associated with using PEDs, both to the person and to the other person they're affecting. These things, to the extent that can be reasonably done, should be policed. No one is saying that it should just be a consequence-free environment, at least no one who we should take seriously. But we live in a world of incentives and leverage, and that's just the way it goes. And so um, for me, you know, being un, you know outrageously angry at these guys as if they're child molesters uh, to me, does not really is not a very rational, serious approach that one should take seriously. Um, a serious one is one where you, again, you try to police to the best you can of a reasonable level, but um, understanding, understand this: USADA can hammer these guys until the sport is out of existence, and athletes are always going to try to cheat. Not every one of them. Not every one of them. Every time, it is. It is never ending. We are allegedly living in an era of the best anti-doping ever. And they may not even admit the entire Russian, uh, uh, no Russian athlete, maybe not even the track and field team, right? So the track and field team might get reinstated and maybe the rest of them will be okay. We'll, we'll, we'll find out about that, but maybe not. Maybe the entire country may not make the Rio Olympics. You think about that for a second. Kenya's having issues as well because doping is common there. And you can say that this is, uh, you know, things we should not allow, and I wouldn't argue with you. And you can say these are things that are breathtaking in scope and um, outrageousness, and I wouldn't, I would not disagree with you. These are fine statements to make, but this is the reality of things. To the extent there is prestige, to the extent there is reward, and to the extent an athlete desires these things, and we're talking about the most competitive kind, either at the highest amateur level for something like Olympic wrestling or whatever the case may be, or the highest professional level for something like you know, prize fighting, the incentive to cheat is never going to go away. It will always be there. So you can take these, you know, these attitudes where you know 1950s comic book condemnatory caricature of you know reasonability and i don't share that what i share is we should not allow it we should police it um and we should recognize failings where they exist but this is you are always 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 going to be dealing with this and it just so turns out that as anti-doping apparently gets much better the problem continues to exist you go ahead and google out there all of the athletes who are protesting water right now across countries across sport who say before the Rio Olympics, which, which is just months away, they are saying they do not trust WADA to allow them to compete in a clean environment where they can leverage their skills against other clean athletes. And this is the best anti-doping has ever been. <laughs> you guys can go out there and you can think whatever you want. To people who you would otherwise think are totally normal and totally reasonable, they have a massive incentive to cheat. Doesn't make cheating okay, but you cannot simply ignore this. Oh, well, there's costs associated with it. Sure. We live in the greatest anti-doping era ever, and it anti-doping, there's no evidence that has declined in numbers, maybe since the 1940s to some extent, and even then I kind of doubt it. John Lineker versus Mayday. Guaranteed fight of the year candidate or destined to fail to live up those expectations. Again, I want to see Mayday push Lineker into deeper waters where maybe you can take him down and maybe you can expose some things. But, you know, Lineker's not just a heavy puncher. He takes a tremendous shot, and he's a hell of a scrambler, man. A really good scrambler. I was very impressed with what he was doing against Rob Font. So that should be fun. 
Uh, Ricardo Lamas playing spoiler for Max Holloway. Even though Max Holloway has been looking excellent the last couple of years, I felt as though Lamas is a bad matchup for him, even at this stage in his career. What are your thoughts on Lamas potentially winning, and would he then be the number one contender again after a big win like that? He would certainly be close to the top. I think he's still in the top five, top six, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, if you can beat Max Holloway, man, you're on your way. I think Holloway's takedown defense is amazing. I think his movement is amazing. His scrambling, his diversity of strikes, his ability to make adjustments minute over minute, round over round is extremely impressive. So if Lamas can get by him, um, I would not be opposed for him being in a conversation towards the top of that food chain. But, you know, what the hell's going on in Featherweight right now? No one really knows. Does, does Will Brooks have what it takes to be UFC champion? Uh, right this minute, I don't know, but um, he is obviously a championship caliber fighter. I think he's an extremely good one, uh, and I think he can compete with the best in the UFC, but we need to see that before we can declare anything definitively, right? So, Chael's grappling promotion. What are your thoughts on Chael's upcoming grappling card? Yeah, I like it. Do you think he'll actually go through with it, or is it just a hoax that he's trying to get Garner attention with? I think he will go through with it. Also, if he does go through with it, what are the chances he doesn't wind up paying the participants when it's all said and done? How could I possibly know that? I mean, I'm presuming that he has money. I don't know, but we'll, we shall see. Mighty Mouse versus Wilson Hayes. Thoughts on the fight, and should the UFC be pushing the dominant champion angle and promoting him? Yeah, of course. What's the what's the angle that otherwise would get you to care about this? Like, dominant grappler, no one is really aware of in Wilson Hayes versus... UFC flyweight champ, that's not a particularly sexy one. However, guy on a path for, you know, all-time greatness, well, that sounds a lot more interesting to me. Yeah, why wouldn't you push it? And if he fails, then he fails. But um, that's the one I would go with. Moreover, you know, Wilson Hayes, man, look, I don't think he's going to win. I, I certainly like Mighty Mouse's chances, just like you do. I don't think this is the worst fight in the world. I mentioned this in the MMA beat, I think, last week. Wilson Hayes was a guy, I took a seminar with him. Jesus, how long ago was this? 2006, and it was with him and the guy who gave him his black belt, Herberto Godoy. And he and uh, what did Wilson Hayes show? Wilson Hayes showed, I think, um, like some ways to take him out in the back. But I remember Godoy. I, I'll never forget this. Godoy was there because he didn't speak any English. So like Wilson Hayes was translating for him. Godoy did an entire portion of his seminar on spine cranks and like these weird ones from side control. Like it was, it was awesome. It was super awesome. Now, I haven't been able to use any of those effectively, but, um, you know, dude, Wilson Hayes is nasty, man. Go check out Wilson Hayes versus Ryan Hall from Grappler's Quest. Um, Wilson Hayes is an excellent, excellent grappler. So I don't, I don't, again, I like Mighty Mouse's chances pretty considerably, but uh, I do not think this is some sort of like terrible fight. And, and to your point on this idea of, you know, chasing greatness, yeah, like I think it's a great way to go about things. Colin Coward says, oh, Colin, what'd you make of Colin Coward's so-called insider info and sources stating that absolutely Floyd and Connor will fight? I didn't think at all about it. Coward claimed knowledge from multiple sources scheduling the bout for mid-September in Las Vegas. Yep, he sure did. Have you managed to find anywhere any confirmation of what Coward has said? Nope. Do you have any comment on these claims? Again, <clears throat> I cannot say this fight is not going to happen. Uh, perhaps he is speaking to people who um, think that they're going to make it, and perhaps they are going to try. But the minute they try, Conor McGregor is going to get hauled into court. So 
Just keep in mind that. Again, they could look, they can sign all these agreements. They can sign about agreement. He can sign whatever kind of contract the, the, that like his arm is not physically incapable of signing using a pen and writing. Like he can do those things. The question is, uh, what is Zufa gonna do to stop it? And I would imagine they're gonna do everything imaginable to stop it. So I've seen Zufa go to court with people. <laughs> they don't often lose. Um especially for stuff like this, small, smaller stuff. And um, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. Or Palharis. What do you make of Palharis complaining about illegal elbows in his recent humiliating KO loss? Can you understand why some fans and fighters might not be too sympathetic? I mentioned before what the chutzpah claims. Let me just say this, though. Like, uh, the, 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 the current video I saw doesn't really say that these were to the back of the head. It was, it's just not clear. So maybe there's another video angle you can examine. Even if even if Paul Harris is not deserving of a particular degree of sympathy, look, if someone gets hit in the back of the head illegally, that should be enforced. Whether it's a Goomba, whether it is a Goober, whether it is a Goon, whether it is anything, it should be enforced. Uh, let's 215. Let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. I'm at SBN Luke Thomas on Twitter. You can use the hashtag chat rappers. All right. Shane Carwin recently spoke about a potential return. How do you think he would do in today's division? Not great. Uh, should the UFC add women's featherweight or continue to use Cyborg as a special attraction? I guess what I would it's a good question. Um, wouldn't be opposed to either. I think the attraction thing is okay with me, provided they can find reasonably entertaining matchups. Did you see Rockhold versus Souza, and how did you score it? I can't remember how I scored it the first time. Very close fight. I think I gave the fight to Jacare barely, barely. It's a super tight fight. Um, if you score that fight for Rockhold, I don't think there's much issue with that, which is kind of why I want to see more of it. <laughs> Someone has a quote from Kali Muscle. I don't think it's real, but it says, if you drink tap water, you're not natural. The other day, this guy looks like. Have you ever seen Kelly Muscle? He is like muscles upon muscles. He's got vascularity in his like left or right bicep that you cannot imagine, and he like shows all these supplements he's taken, and it's like, you know, it's like really that's how you got huge. Taking hyphy mud and hyphy aminos. Okay, uh, the Manhoff Carvalho fight was one of the worst I've ever seen. What is the worst fight you have ever? The worst fight I've ever seen. Ooh, what is the worst fight I've ever seen? I guess Kimbo versus Dada, right? Because I've seen worse fights among like amateurs and stuff, but you go into that with, you know, and I went into Kimbo Dada with low expectations. I guess the worst I've ever seen is probably something in an amateur league, but it doesn't strike me in that way because these are guys who are just, and ladies who are very early in their development and their tactical or strategic errors or their shortcomings are very understandable and part of the game. Kimbo versus Dada, again, not that I was expecting anything, but, you know, you're on national TV or, you know, co-main eventing a card. It was, I mean, just unbearably bad. <laughs> Someone says, Kali has good form in the videos where he doesn't talk S. Well, that's none of them. Um, I haven't heard his name on the chat. What's up with... CM Punk? Is there a date yet? No idea. 
Do you think Paige Van Zandt was robbed at Dancing with the Stars? I did not watch, so I'll just say yes. Luke, do you have any indication on how well UFC clothing is selling? Dana never mentions it at all. It's probably all you need to know. Luke, let's pretend UFC allows Connor versus Mayweather, okay? Does Connor have a better chance of victory than Leslie Smith against Cyborg? Oof. No. I don't think it'll look like that necessarily, but he doesn't have a better chance of victory, no. Has Coker given his take on the Bellator 155 main event? I often wonder if titles are important to the company. Um, not that I'm aware of, although I don't know how many people have asked him about it yet. Um, boy, that was so bad. God damn, that was the worst fight I've ever seen in my life. Or up there, anyway. Uh, how does the Reebok sponsorship work with other sponsors on the fight kits, i.e. Monster? Do the fighters get a separate check? For the ones who have that sponsorship, yes, but it's not clear how much and it's not clear what the terms are because this is all proprietary information that is kept secret. Uh, who do you see fighting Ryan Hall next? I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's fighting Alex White next in UFC Fight Night 91. If I believe that is correct, I think that's correct, right? Let's see. Yep, the one in Sioux Falls. Did you guys see this other Ryan Hall, the American long-distance runner? He gave up running because it kind of just wrecked his body, and now he's gotten into powerlifting. He's gotten into powerlifting, I should say. Apparently, he's put on like 40 pounds of muscle. Go get him, son. Copa America tournament. How does the U.S. do and what team wins it all? I'll say Argentina wins it all because they usually do. Um, plus, we'll see what happens with Suarez and Uruguay. Um, although I know Argentina lost to Chile last year. Uh, Vidal and uh, Sanchez are sick. Obviously, I'm going to be looking for the three up front. Well, not quite up front, but the three of uh, James, Cuadrado, and Baca. The rest of that Colombia team is trash. The U.S. team is just garbage. However... Uh, I'm going to be cheering for them because I don't believe in cheering. You're going to say, well, you're cheering for Colombia, but I would never cheer for Colombia over the U.S. ever. And um, Kristen Pulisic is going to be playing for the American team. So I'm kind of excited about that. So we'll see what he can do. But the U.S. is going to get smoked. They're going to get smoked bad <laughs> because they always get smoked against good teams. Uh Did I get the okay to tell that story about your AP Chem class? No, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell it. I'm gonna tell it. It wasn't about the APM AP Chem class. It's about what I did on the test. And no, I did not cheat. Uh, of course not. Um, there was trust me. There was no reason to. Um, you know what? Okay, best fight I've ever seen. I'll answer next week, and then I promise I will get to this AP Chem story because it's kind of funny. Uh. Former fighter, current prisoner, Lee Murray, and noted horrible human being is reportedly bringing in training partners to his prison in Morocco and expects to be released soon. After this expected release, he wants to fight again, and I'm sure he will. Someone says Scott Coker will bring him in. I am sure that he will. 
This being's preparation time. Do you personally think that the short amount of time Michael Bisping has to prepare for a title fight against Rockhold is going to be sufficient? Of course not. We know Bisping is an ultra-fit fighter at any time in or out of the cage, so where do you think any in-fight deficiencies are likely to be most apparent? I, I don't know how his conditioning would not be a liability. The guy was drinking beers when the Raptors were playing the Heat um, courtside outside or i guess away from jurassic park god i hate that so much anyway um love canada i love the t dot but the jurassic park thing just tilts me so now he is not going to be in tremendous shape he told me in my interview like i posted on mma fighting you guys can go read it it's a serious xm interview so you can't hear the whole audio but you can hear you can read the whole transcript <clears throat> and what he says is he knows his cardio is not going to be where it needs to be he's not even going to try to in fact he's going to make adjustments to that effect in other words he's you know, and there's a real question here about like how much of that is a smart strategy because you're saying, well, on on the surface level, that does make sense, right? You know, you don't have the cardio to go five rounds, so why bother? Just go out there and put the pressure on them early. Okay, fair enough. Well, in the other hand, um, how much of how much are you getting away from the way in which you normally win fights by doing that? On the the other hand, how much can you really surprise Luke Rockhold with an early blitz? Maybe you could. You know, you never know. So. Uh, it'll be interesting. I think ultimately it's probably the right call because really what other alternative do you have? Now, in terms of how he applies that early push, I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't know what he'll do, but certainly I expect that, yeah. Do I feel page man? There's another one. I got robbed dancing with the stars. Uh, Luke's Snapchat account. What is the weirdest or worst thing you've ever been sent on Snapchat so far? Um, I haven't been sent things all that bad. Just weird stuff like people driving down the road for no apparent reason and just recording the highway like for like 30 seconds. <laughs> it's like, here's me driving down the highway. Well, all right. There you go. Uh, if you want to get at me on Snapchat, Thomas 79 on Snapchat. I might start taking my Snap videos and then like showing them in the camera and then answering them on camera on my personal channel we'll see how that goes i'm thinking about it but um i mostly get like nice people saying nice things it's actually not people are like oh did you get a bunch of dick pics and i'm like why would a dude send another dude a picture of his hog like if i was a girl you know even if i was heinous and unattractive I would imagine that dudes would still try and send pictures of their hog because dudes do that kind of thing. But like there's no real win for you know it doesn't doesn't it doesn't work the same way. So no, like I haven't got that at all. Uh uh I've just gotten the either random or weird, but not you know. Uh but now I'm sure with this I will. So there you go. That should be fun. Oh, this got posted a little bit too far behind. Um, as a newer MMA fan, what did Loretta Hunt and Josh Gross do to get banned from the UFC? Someone says, let me Google that for you, and it shows them. MMA gods and Bellator. Have the MMA gods unleashed their wrath on Bellator after the fight card with Dada and Kimbo? Ben Henderson's debut ends in a loss. Josh Thompson withdraws due to injury. Sergey Heratonov withdraws due to illness. 
Lightweight champion gets released and stripped. <laughs> uh, heavyweight champion gets stripped. No title holder for women's featherweight belt. Manhoff versus Carvalho nominated for worst fight of the year. Alex Reed set to return at Bellator 158. Uh, not a bad point. Not a bad point. That's very funny. Very funny. McGregor with some Mayweather questions are just unbelievable. Luke, are you going to be at UFC 199? Any chance we can see you on Joe Rogan's podcast? Unlikely because I will not be at 199. I will be at 200. You can catch me out there. There's one about, here we go. Champions League prediction final. Ronaldo to score in a 2-1 win for Real, in my opinion. Like the sound of that. I've got all my friends coming over, which is not many, which is not many people, and all of them hate Real Madrid, and they're going to come over to watch it on Saturday, so that should be a ton of fun. I have to deal with just a bunch of stupid hecklers in my own living room. Uh, Luke, on a lark, I looked up the annual revenue of NFL teams. It seems that the Dallas Cowboys posted revenue of $620 million for the 2014-2015 season. I thought, what a perfectly apt figure for comparing the UFC to its, its pay structure since the UFC posted about $600 million last year. For the 2016 season, the Cowboys are set to pay out their players a total of $190 million. Only 90 players versus 500 UFC fighters. Tony Romo makes about $18 million a year. There are six players, 6.6%, earning $9 million plus which seems to be the entry point of the star salary. The median salary is about 750000 The NFL's base salary is 450000 Actually, it's a little bit less for the practice squad, but you get the idea. The UFC and the Cowboys make about the same amount of money annually, but the UFC has about 5.75 times the number of fighters as the Cowboys have players. Let's compare what the numbers should theoretically stack up with that 5.75 to 1 ratio in mind. The top fighter, $3.13 million a year uh, versus... Uh, Romo's 18 million. The comparison is about the same. Top 6.6 of fighters, 6.6% of fighters, that's 34 of them. 1.5 plus million top six uh, Cowboys at 9 million. Close to parallel. Median annual salary, 134,000. Cowboys median, 750,000 at the 5.575 ratio. Not close at all. Base salary, 78,000. The NFL base is 540. At a 5.75 ratio, not close at all. Actual UFC median salary is about 600, excuse me, 61,000. Median fight purse is about 24,000. If you're fighting two and a half times a year, actual UFC base, 37,000. Um, again, this obviously doesn't take into account training costs, which the NFL team would be paying for as well. Given this rudimentary and surely flawed comparison, I see two things. Number one, the guys at the bottom are getting summarily effed. And two, the top 30 to 40% of UFC fighters seem to get paid comparably to NFL athletes, given the 5.75 to 1 ratio of people drawing them from the same pot. Is it fair to think that if there were 5.75 times more revenue, the fighters would be paid accordingly? No, I don't think so. I think the issue that you're raising is a good one. Again, and these comparisons are are flawed for a number of reasons. But as we've noted before, the guys at the top have very little incentive to have guys at the bottom helped. But this is where the union would go into effect. It's not really that George St. Pierre or John Jones or Conor McGregor or Ronda Rousey need a lot of help. Um, they certainly probably could be raising their earning potential to some degree, but they're not broke. They're probably compensated to a pretty great degree. It's everyone sort of in the middle and particularly in the bottom that you would need to really take care of or that upper middle that that could be potentially making a lot more, particularly in light of the sponsorship uh, crunch. 
All right. Well, I appreciate everyone's contributions and smart uh, takes. So it says Kimbo versus Dada was still better than Starnes versus Quarry. I don't know about that. Do you know what is up with the special Nate edition with the MMA hours at a new fight? I don't know. Just tune in and see. 4 p.m. Luke Thomas show. I have Cardi Cody Garbrandt on the show. I have Stephen Wonderboy Thompson on the show. And I should have, fingers crossed, Brian Caraway on today's show. 4 p.m. Sirius XM 93. And stay tuned also at 4 p.m. If you can't make it to Sirius XM, then listen to uh, Ariel's interview with Nate Diaz. It'll be great. Okay. Until next time, thank you so much for watching. Give it a thumbs up. I appreciate it. For some reason, I'm sinking. I don't know why. Until next time, stay frosty.